0: All right, well, today we're uh, going to continue our series on divine emotions, how God feels about you. Uh, There are a couple of uh, passages of scripture that are referenced in your outline. If you want to go ahead and turn there and hold your place, you can. They'll also be shown uh, on the screen behind me uh, as we get to that place. There are a few things in life that I am as passionate about as guarding the best interest of my children every decision, every activity, every invitation to a friend's house, every purchase, every granted request, and every refused request is motivated by a desire for what's best for them. They don't necessarily agree with that on the refused request part, uh, but it remains true. Everything is motivated by a desire for what's best for them. Now, I've always made Michelle do this but, uh, but many times when they've been invited to vi- visit the house of a friend whose parents we've never met we have Michelle insist on meeting the parents before agreeing to the visit or, or at least before we actually release them uh, to walk through the front door and she's been known to ask questions like this do you have any guns in the house? are those guns locked up? Who else will be in the home while my child is in your care? And I don't think it's ever happened, but if a parent had ever been offended by such questions, we would have just been very content in quietly saying to ourselves, thank you for verifying that this is the, the wrong place for my child to be. Because here's the truth. Our view is that if you can't understand that we care more about our kids' best interest than we do about you being slightly uncomfortable with a question we might ask you, then, well, we're sorry you don't understand that. But that's just the way it is. And so we're not going to be that concerned with how you feel. Well, let me clarify that. If I had to be the one to do it, I would probably be concerned with how you feel. But since I've convinced Michelle to handle this responsibility, I'm not as concerned with how they feel. And to her great credit, she, uh, she pushes through the discomfort and chooses not to be all that concerned. You see, I want what's best for my kids. And while I sometimes have to be objective... About things and understand that that I can't control every single thing, if I ever become convinced that someone has acted toward them in a way that isn't in their best interest and those actions were intentional, that is the shortest path to anger for me. I get angry when what's best for my kids is compromised. Anything that is against their best interest, anger and I meet very quickly. And I know enough of you well enough to know that I uh, to know that this is true of you. Most parents if they are good parents, this is true of them. They are like this. And here's something I want us to see in the scriptures today, God is like this. Anything that goes against the best interest of those he loves and that's every single one of us in here today makes God angry. Anything that goes against your best interest makes God angry. He cares about you so much that he gets angry on your behalf. We've seen in this series that God loves us. He actually feels loving toward us. We've seen in this series that God is jealous for us, that God is compassionate toward us. And today I want us to see that God gets angry on our behalf. And the next week, as we wrap up this series on Baptism Sunday, we're going to see how God experiences joy because of us, that God feels joy uh, when he thinks about us. So we're going to look at Mark 3, 1 through 6, and then after that, John 2, 12 through 16. And from each of these passages, I'm going to highlight one truth about how God feels about us. And so let's look at Mark chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 first. I'll read, you follow along as I do. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? So as was often the case during Jesus' ministry on earth, he was opposed by the religious leaders of the day. He was often coming into conflict with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were constantly following him around, looking over his shoulder, trying to find him, violating some aspect of their law in order that they might accuse him and discredit him. And while God's law did not forbid healing on the Sabbath... The Pharisees had heaped all kinds of laws on top of God's law, and it had led them to the place of equating healing to work, and therefore suggesting that it was unlawful to heal on the Sabbath. There are a couple of uh, kind of interesting and intriguing things in this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, and one of them is this question Jesus asked, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or evil, to save a life, or to kill? Uh, in asking this question, what Jesus was doing is he was exposing the lawlessness of the Pharisees. While they are condemning him for possibly choosing to heal on the Sabbath, they are using the Sabbath to plot how they might kill Jesus. And, and then when he asked them to stretch out, uh, asked the man that needs healed to stretch out his hand and then simply speaks healing, He is making sure in doing that, that nothing that he does in the healing can be construed as violating the law of the Pharisees. And so in these two things, Jesus reveals their improper hearts, and even playing by their twisted rules, Jesus does nothing in violation of the law. But but here's the thing I want to really highlight today. Jesus knew that the Pharisees were more concerned with trying to trap him than they were with a man with a withered hand getting help. And verse 5 says that because of this, he looked around at them in anger and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And then he healed the man. And then the Pharisees went out, and they plotted to kill Jesus. The thing that I want you to see here is that Jesus was angry with the Pharisees. And here's the truth that I think God wants us to take from uh, from this, at least one truth that he wants us to take from this. God gets angry when others stand in the way of what's best for you. God gets angry when others stand in the way of what's best for you. What was best for the man in Mark 3 was to be healed, not to argue over the details of how you avoid working on the Sabbath. The Pharisees distracted from the man's healing. They distracted from the man's need. Uh, They they opposed the man getting help uh, from Jesus And this made Jesus very angry. When others stand in the way of what's best for you, God gets angry. When a boyfriend or a girlfriend tempts you towards sex outside of marriage, God gets angry because he knows that that is not in your best interest. When someone refuses to let you live down a past sin or mistake, never allows you to put it behind you and move forward, God gets angry because he knows that condemnation is not in your best interest. When someone maligns your reputation and spreads false accusations against you, God gets angry. Anytime that someone works against what God knows is best for you, because he loves you, God gets angry. He gets angry on your behalf. And I don't know about you, but for me, this realization that God gets angry on my behalf is something that I find pretty encouraging. It it lets me know that God cares about me. It lets me know that God has feelings for me. God is not just a disinterested bystander in, in my life. He is invested in me, much like a really good human parent is invested in their children. So now let's look at John chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Actually, uh, I'm just going to start reading at verse 13. Here's what those verses say. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove uh, all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. There are two reasons that are commonly accepted as to why Jesus became angry and physically drove the sheep and cattle out of the temple court, scattered the money, overturned the money changers' tables. By the way, just allow yourself... To see that picture in your mind's eye. Sweet baby Jesus, meek and mild, driving the livestock out of the temple, turning tables over, throwing coins all over the worship space. Jesus doesn't do things like that, Jesus is nice. He's always nice. No matter what you do, he's nice. Treat other people like bad. He's nice. (laughs) Did you know where I was going with that? And he's just nice, no matter what. Except he's not. That's not what the Bible shows us. He gets mad. Here's the first reason that he was mad about what they were doing in the temple. They were selling these items in the temple itself. They they were selling within the places that were reserved for worship. And so here's what they were essentially doing. They were taking up space where people were trying to get into worship. And thereby, they were making it harder for the people to worship. People were traveling from great distances to come and offer their sacrifices, and they would get there, and it was made more difficult on them because of the way these money changers were set up. The second reason this angered Jesus is believed to be because the temple merchants were charging exorbitant fees for the cattle and sheep and the doves that the people needed to buy to make their sacrifices. Uh, There's really no thought here that Jesus was upset about uh, selling these things at a reasonable cost. I mean, this practice had actually started as a service to people, as a a way to help facilitate uh, worship. But what started as a service to people turned into an opportunity to gouge people and overcharge them. And so Jesus was not happy about this. So Jesus is angry because people are being crowded out of the place of worship and because they are being overcharged to secure their sacrifices for their worship. And among other things, we could say, here's something this lets us know about God. God gets angry when you are mistreated. God gets angry when you're taken advantage of. God isn't like the parent who sees their child being mistreated and says, well, that's okay, they needed to tough up anyway. That one's a wimp. God's not not like that. Now, now that's not to say that God doesn't allow us to go through things that toughen us up. Uh, I think God is in favor of followers that don't fall into the fetal position, weeping every time somebody says an unkind word to them. But God gets angry when you're mistreated. God gets angry when you're taken advantage of. When someone gossips about you, does damage to your reputation, God gets angry on your behalf. When a boss requires you to work ridiculous hours that take you away from your family and take you away from your time with him, God gets angry on your behalf. You should never think of God as dispassionately observing your life and yawning no matter how you're treated. That is not the picture the Bible paints of God. The Bible tells us of a God who has strong feelings for us. He loves us. He is jealous for us. He is compassionate toward us. And as we're seeing here today, He is a God who gets angry on our behalf. And here's the reason that God gets angry on our behalf. It is because He truly wants what is best for us. God wants what is best for you. He really, truly does here's what John 10:10 10, 10 tells us the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy i have come that they may have life and have it to the full that is jesus speaking there in that quote jesus wants you to have life he he wants you to have life to the full some translations say he wants you to have life more abundantly this is why jesus came And God gets angry when anything conflicts with why Christ came and with what Christ is trying to accomplish in your life. John 10.10. He wants life. He wants life to the full. He wants life more abundantly. And this includes in that that he wants a meaningful life for us right here and now. God wants a better life for you than the enemy of your soul desires for you. God may not always grant us an easy life. He, he usually won't. In fact, I don't know anyone who would describe life as easy. But here's what God does want to do for us. He does want to give us an improved quality of life. He, he wants to give us Christ life. Christ being in us, working in us to improve our experience of life, whether times are good or times are difficult. And not only does God want to improve the quality of our life now, but God also wants us to have eternal life with Him. He wants us to live with Him forever. Meaningful life now, eternal life with Him. This is why Christ came. And God gets angry with anything that stands against that, conflicts with that, that tries to thwart either of those things. If anything in your life is coming against you experiencing a full life now and eternal life with him, God gets angry about that. Because it's not in your best interest. And here's something that I try to say at least a few times a year around here because it's so important for us to believe this because it is so true. Here is the reason that God is opposed to sin. It is not because God wants to ruin our fun. It is because God knows what is best for us. Every command of God is designed for our good. Every command of God is designed for your good. 1 John 5, 3-5 through five says this, This is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's the part that I want to emphasize. This is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. You want to overcome the junk that the world throws at you? You you want to experience the life that God desires for you instead of the life the evil one desires for you? Here's the key. Obey God's commands. You see, God's commands are not burdensome. God's commands are not designed to limit your life God's commands are not designed to limit you from having a full life or, or limit you from having a meaningful life. It is exactly the opposite. God's commands are designed to maximize your life, to help you experience the full life that God desires for you. God's commands are meant to set you free to truly live life. And so let's talk real Frankly, here for a moment, I made the first service highly uncomfortable with this. We'll see how you fare. God doesn't put adultery off limits because he doesn't want you having any fun. God doesn't put adultery off limits because he's against sex. Here's why God puts adultery off limits. Because it does not bring life that is full. Instead, it brings life that is a total mess. Here's where they got real comfortable, uh, uncomfortable, I'm sorry. You might respond to that and say, well, I just really like sex a lot. What am I supposed to do? Not have adultery. Here's the thing, God knows this about you. I think you actually are more uncomfortable than the first service was. Congratulations. God designed sex, God knows people like it. And as the designer of sex, here's what God knows Sex is best. When it is experienced with one person in a committed covenantal marriage over a lifetime. This is what God knows. And because God knows this, and because God wants you to live a full and meaningful life, and he knows adultery won't accomplish that for your good, God says, don't do that. God doesn't say don't covet the things that belong to your neighbor because he doesn't want you to have nice stuff. Because he never wants you to dream of anything better than what you currently have. God tells you not to covet what belongs to your neighbor because he knows that the comparison game is a surefire way to get all messed up on the inside. You see, here's what God knows. Contentment brings life. Coveting what we don't have brings death, destruction, turmoil, frustration, annoyance. It's an awful way to live. Coveting is an awful way to live. God knows this. And so he says to us, listen to me. I created life. I know how this thing works. I know what is best for you. I know how you will be the happiest, the most fulfilled, the most contented, the most peaceful. Don't worry about your neighbor's stuff. And on and on it goes. Every command intended to enable you to live the best life, intended to help you avoid the death and destruction that the enemy desires And instead, experience the life that is really life. Love your neighbor as yourself. God knows that not only is that the right thing to do, but it is the surest way to have peace in your life, to be at peace with all people, treating them with the same care and respect that you desire for yourself. Every single command... Designed for your good. Designed with your best interest in mind. Designed to help you live a full, meaningful, and abundant life. So let's review this. God gets angry when others stand in the way of what's best for you. He gets angry when you are mistreated and taken advantage of. He gets angry about these things because God truly wants what is best for you. He wants you to have a full and meaningful and abundant life now and he wants you to have eternal life with him and so he gets angry about anything that compromises either of those objectives. And every single command he gives is toward the purpose of helping us live a full and abundant life. Here's the truth that all of this tells us. It is a simple thought But if we will really get a hold of it, allow it to settle deep into our spirits, it is a powerful truth, it is a liberating truth, and here it is. God is for you. God is for you. He's not against you. God is for you. He wants what is best for you. And if we can receive this truth, if we can trust this truth, if we can allow this to really take up residence in the the deep place where we truly believe it, when we know that God is for us, we can trust him with our lives. We can trust that his plans for us are good. We can trust that his commands will help us to uh, to live a full and meaningful life, not to rob us of life. And we can trust that God is not dispassionate about us. But God is engaged. He cares enough about us that anything that works against our best interest makes God angry. Do you remember a time in your childhood where you needed your parent to be angry about something? Somebody had done something to you and they... You just needed them to be angry. My dad did this once. I was about nine years old. And Jody Steele, a girl, (laughs) was the neighborhood bully. And we had this empty field next to to our house. And Jody Steele threw me down on the ground climbed on top of me and started sticking me with a straight pin. She was an evil, evil (laughs) little girl. And today, this wouldn't go over too well. But my dad appeared out of nowhere. And Jody Steele got pulled off of me by her left arm and drugged to her grandparents' house, where they were told in no uncertain terms that Jody Steele better never stick my son with a pen again. My dad was angry, and I needed my dad to be angry right then because Jody was stronger than me. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a great truth to know. That God gets angry on our behalf. He cares about us. He is for us. Why don't you stand?